you spray the devil, and they come with insecticides. And during the service, they line up and the pastor sprays insecticide on their faces. They are spraying the devil out. I wish we put up those pictures. I sent them to Teresa yesterday. She was laughing so hard. I said, yeah, this is what is being taught in churches. And God has given us great men and women of God here who know the word, who can preach, who can teach. And I believe God is preparing us for a great work in Nigeria. I really do. For us to have 800 pastors show up on the first ever pastor's conference in that area, I know that two years, three years, four years, five years from now, is going to grow into something that will affect the church in Nigeria. We know that. And we thank God for that. Amen? Today I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you from my heart and from the fact that as believers, there are some things you must have a hold of if you are going to succeed as a Christian. There are some things that you must do if you are in a situation that is impossible, you feel trapped, you feel there's no end to this suffering or pain. There are things that you must do if you're going to get out of that situation. I want to start by telling you a little bit of a story. It happened to me, it was a real story at the age of 20. It was sometime around this type of time of the year during the summer. We were going from the city where I was in school, in college. We were going to my village. There were four of us in the car. My uncle, or rather my brother-in-law, we call them uncles. Everybody's brother or uncle. My brother-in-law, who is a surgeon, was driving the car. And as we were going, we had a flat tire, which was, we had a loud boom. It was a flat tire, and the car started to tumble, I and mean, just tumble, tumble, up and down, up and down, up and down. And it did that about four times. And on the fourth time, we rested upside down. We were all still in our car seats, belted up but we were upside down. That's an experience nobody wants to have. I was bleeding. I had a deep cut right here on the artery on my wrist, bleeding profusely. And the doors were jammed shut. The windscreens were all shattered but jagged, so there's no way to come out. We couldn't even get out of the seat. We were in. We were, we were jammed in. My brother-in-law, who was a surgeon, who could have helped me, I was bleeding, literally bleeding to death, he was coming in and out of consciousness. And we were on a kind of a lonely stretch of road, so we didn't even know if somebody saw us have the accident. We were in a desperate situation. I had become saved at that time, and all I knew to do then was to pray that God would somehow sent somebody on the outside who could do what we couldn't do for ourselves because we were trapped. We were desperate and we needed help. Maybe you are here today or someone you know is in a situation, not physical, but similar in the spiritual to what I'm describing this morning. You are in a situation, you're desperate, you're trapped, It seems like nothing will ever change. And you're asking God, help me. Maybe it's a marriage. 
You know, one thing I've come to know, Christians, we act even better than the best actors in Hollywood. We are good actors. We can put on the mask and really, really act. And you are in a dead marriage or impossible marriage. You come to church every Sunday. You do your thing, smile, laugh, and you go home and you stay in that situation. Maybe you are in a dead-end job or, or your dreams that you had for yourself. You look at yourself, you are in your 50s, 40s, 30s, 60s, whatever, and nothing has come to pass and you feel you've been dead in a dead situation for so long. Habakkuk 1-2, the prophet Habakkuk says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear. Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. How many of you are in that situation today? I know if I told us to raise our hands, either you are there right now or you've been there Every hand here would go up, but I'm not going to do that because I know I've been there. Now, Pastor and I, let me tell you when we pray for the church, we have certain prayers that we pray. But one prayer we pray every night before we go to sleep for you and for me is that you don't walk in the natural. That I don't walk in the natural. Because the very minute you got saved, the Bible says God translated you from being a natural person into a supernatural person. And so as a Christian, action doesn't take place here. In Ephesians 1.3, it says our blessings are in the heavenly places. In Ephesians 1.20, it says, God and Jesus are in the heavenly places. Ephesians 2.6 says, we have been raised together with Christ and we are seated with him, where? In heavenly places. Then finally, in Ephesians 3.10, the demonic powers, principalities, powers, guess where they are too? They are all in the heavenly places. So if all the action is in the heavenly places, you don't want to be here. You don't want to be operating here. You want to make sure you are always operating in where? In the heavenly places. And so our prayer is always that when you see yourself, when you get into a situation that is difficult, that is hard, in a situation where you feel is dead, is trapped, don't look at it from the natural. Get up where you're supposed to be and operate from there. Because when you are in the spiritual, you see things a whole lot more differently, sister. You begin to see things in a whole different light. And so if you're going to have victory, if you're going to walk in victory, you must learn not to walk in this realm that we are in because nothing is happening here. Nothing. It's all happening up there. If the truth be told, 
We are not in our situation because God is negligent. We are not in our situations because God doesn't love us. We are not in our situation because God doesn't care. We are in our situation because we refuse to walk where God has placed us. We step down too often from where God has placed us. We behave like mere men where God says we are not mere men. You and I are not ordinary. You have the life of Jesus in you. And we are often the ones holding him back from stepping in. There you are in that car. Upside down. Everything is upside down. You're bleeding to death. Even those in there cannot help you. No one can help you. Only he can help you. And then he shows up and tells you what to do. And you don't do it. And so we are going to the Bible says God always provides a way of escape. He says no temptation, no trouble can get so big that God will not give you a way of escape. He tells you to climb out the window and you are running towards the door. If he says the window, he means the window. God says what he means. That's one thing I'm going to come to find out. Don't try and read too much. I mean, there are some verses, and I will show that today as I was reading this story of Lazarus. There are some things you, you really miss it. And I hope God will show you today that God says what he means, and he means what he says. And so when God gives you an instruction, do exactly what he says, even if it makes sense or not. And let me tell you, if it makes sense, it's natural. If everything God tells you always makes sense, you are not up there. You're walking down here, amen? So today we're going to look at a story in the Bible. In this story, we're going to find some nuggets, some nuances, some spiritual truths that if you apply to whatever you're going through right now, I promise you, you will get out of that impossible situation. And that story is the story of Lazarus that was raised from the dead in John chapter 11. Let me give you a little bit of synopsis before we go in. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were friends of Jesus, and um, Lazarus had gotten sick. And in verse 3, we pick up the story where Martha and Mary sent word to Jesus to tell him that their brother was sick. And in John chapter 13, verse 11, we read, Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. The first thing you notice is when they sent Jesus a message, they wanted to bribe him. I don't know if that's what they were trying to do. They were like, um, see, is is the one you really, really, really love that's sick. They took themselves out. They took themselves out, sent the message. They didn't say, oh, you love our family, you love us, our brother is sick, please come. They said, Lazarus, the one whom you love, is sick. But the Bible went to the next verse and says, 
in level five, John eleven five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. God wanted us to know that it wasn't just Lazarus that Jesus loved. He loved Martha and Mary also. So don't take yourself out. God doesn't love Lazarus more than he loves you. When you send for him to help you, you don't have to bribe him. He loves you too. He cares about you too. Don't take yourself out of the equation. He doesn't love your daddy because your daddy goes to church more than he does you. He doesn't love Pastor Goodluck more than he loves you. He loves you too. We are so quick to take ourselves out. To minimize our own worth in the eyes of God. He loves you. And then the Bible says in John eleven six. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Huh? I thought he just told me he loved us. He loved Martha and he, he made it clear. I mean, he's, he loved all three of them. Yet he's staying two more days where he was. We were told where he was presently. We're not told how many days he put them on hold. Because by the time he showed up, it had been four days since he died. So it could have been a whole lot more than two days. What do you do when God puts you on hold? What do you do when you send an SOS to God? God help me, I'm desperate, and God does absolutely nothing. What do you do? Does it mean he doesn't love you? Is the love of God measured by what he does for you? Does God love this one more because everything in her life seems okay and everything in your life seems to be going down and, and trapped and hopeless? Are you measuring the love of God for you because of what's going on in your life? Because sister, God will put you on hold. And he will put you on hold despite his love for you. Because if you go back to the beginning of that word, of that chapter, when they sent word to him, he sent word back to them. And he said, this is not going to be unto death. He gave his word already. He gave his word. And so when he put them on hold, he expected them to remember his word. This sickness is on unto death. He said it. That settles it. And things that God does sometimes, like I said, if you try to figure God out, you always have a headache. You know, you will... I'm telling you, begin not to even trust in your senses, believe me. Because the more you trust in your senses, the more you trust in your human understanding, this thing between your, uh, your, your ears here, the more confused you're going to be in Christianity. And that's why people don't understand us. That's why they think we're crazy, we have our head buried in the sand, because 
the things of God are just crazy, foolish, and not making sense to the natural man. He not only waited for two days, he actually waited for the guy to die. He waited for your marriage to go down, down, down the rocks to die. He waited till that lost child got pregnant, did an abortion, and now she can't have children. He waited for that wayward child to do all kinds of things. And you've been praying for years. Does that make sense? He's given you his word that he will take care of it, and yet nothing is happening for years and years. And the situation even gets worse. Lazarus dies. And then we see the way believers behave when God has put them on hold. John chapter 11, verse 21 and 22, verses 21 and 22. Finally, he shows up when it's too late. Of course, you will be frustrated, right? And that's what Martha was. In fact, only Martha went to meet him anyway. Mary sat at home. She didn't want to go. And Martha said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she's telling him, I'm frustrated at you, Jesus. You let me down. I called on you. You did nothing. If you had been here, Jesus... Things wouldn't have been like this. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. She did what a lot of us do. You do it, I do it. You've been praying and you're praying and you're praying. Nothing is happening. God, you're not really who you say you are. I've done all I know to do. Now, at least she went to Jesus, right? <laughs> at least she went to Jesus and had a dialogue with Jesus. Amen. Her sister Mary stayed at home weeping, and she's like, I ain't going no more. I'm just going to isolate myself. I won't go to church. Don't call me. I'm going to cry. I'm going to get depressed. This thing doesn't work. These promises are not true. Just leave me alone. We do that too, don't we? Now, I'm going to have you watch something, just see something that I almost missed it. In fact, Teresa missed it too. She said, she said why do you have the same scripture? I was like, just wait. <laughs> Look at verse 22. Let me read it together. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, but even now, I know. Do you know even now? He says, even now, I know. God says, the even now faith is what he wants you to have when things seem impossible. Even now. Now, that is the woman, that's the man 
that has confidence in God. That even when things are going haywire, even when you can't figure it out here, you can still say, it's dead. I don't see any life in it. I don't see my way out of this. I can't pay my bills. I've asked God. I've done everything. I've paid my tithes. Nothing is happening. But even now, Lord, I know. I know that I know that you can still move in this situation. She said, even now. Even now. And she went on having a dialogue with Jesus. Jesus told her, I'm the resurrection and the life. She said, yeah, I know when you come back. You know, she wasn't ready to go too deep anymore, but she still had her faith. And God, Jesus lovingly, restored her confidence and made it a little bit higher. And do you know how we knew that she was back in the place that she was before? She went back home and got married. And brought Mary back to Jesus. And the Bible says. It's, it's amazing. How the scripture can say things. And you just like. ah. She went in verse 28. And when she had said these things. The things she was telling for Jesus. She went her way. And the Bible says. And secretly. If you have your Bible underline that word. She went her way. And secretly called Mary her sister, saying, the Lord, the teacher has come and is calling for you. She knew her sister had backslidden. But she didn't do it for the whole church to know. She didn't call her out in front of the whole congregation. She didn't call a meeting to find out why sister so, 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 and so has not been in church for one year and telling everybody she's backslidden. She doesn't love the Lord anymore. She secretly went to her sister. There were people in that home mourning and praying with Mary. She didn't even let them know. She did it in secret and restored her sister back to the Lord and told her, he's calling for you. Don't give up just yet. Let's go back. Even now, let's believe he can still do something. Are you that kind of brother or sister? Are you quick to just... Write people off? Are you quick to just someone who is already down, beat them even more to the ground? That's not what we are called to do. Are you quick to pick up the phone and call? Ah, you hear what's going on? Brother, so, so, and so, sister, so, so, and so. That's not your place. That's not your job. Your job is to bring back in secret. Because let me tell you, if God exposes your sin, if his grace has been good enough to cover you up, please do the same and cover others. In First Corinthians 13, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. Love does not expose. Love covers. Why you cover it, you take care of it, but nobody else can see, but you're doing the work, but you cover that person. That's what love does, and that's what Martha did. Martha secretly restored her sister back to Jesus. And then we're going to go now, down, further down, 
to learn something. I'm trying to teach you all precepts, principles, the ways of the Lord. But now I'm going to really hone it down now to when it comes to your difficult situations and circumstances. In verses 35 to, uh, 33 to 35, we are going to look at the emotions of Jesus and see how Jesus operates when he's emotional. Because he has emotions. The Bible says that he is moved by, the, by our emotions. He is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. So in John verse 3, uh, chapter 11, verses 33 to 35, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, that's to Martha now, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And of course, you have the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Jesus was moved. Jesus was crying. He was groaning. He was anguished. He was in pain over what was going on in Martha and Mary's life. The same is for your situation. Jesus is moved by what you're going through. Jesus is anguished by what you're going through. But you can see that although he was moved and anguished and troubled, he did something. He did something. He didn't let his emotions take him and just make him incapable or paralyzed. He did something. He asked them, where have you laid him? And still in verse 38 and 39, then Jesus again, he's telling you not just that one time was he in pain and anguish and groaning, again, groaning in himself, he came to the tomb. So we can see there was a distance between where he first started, weeping and crying and groaning with them, to walking to where the tomb was. He was groaning and in pain all through that time. What am I trying to tell you? Whatever you are in whatever the trouble is, Jesus is in pain over what you're going through. He understands the pain you're going through. He feels the pain with you. Every feeling that you feel, he's experiencing it too. Have you ever, ever acknowledged that? When he says, I'll be with you in trouble, but I will not let the troubles overcome you. He says, be of good cheer, you have overcome. Have you ever said, Lord, thank you for feeling this pain I have? Thank you that no matter how broken and hurt I am, you feel, you understand because you feel exactly how I'm feeling. You cry with me. You understand me. You haven't left me alone to feel this lost and being this depth of pain. You know what I'm going through because you, you feel exactly the same thing. He came to the tomb and a stone leg against it. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. In every situation you're in, in every trap you're in, in every difficulty you're in, he will always give you a command. He will always give you an instruction. 
take away the stone. He might tell you, you know, for that dead marriage, from now on I want you to buy a card every week. Or I want you to write a letter every week. And if you have money, maybe it's just one single flower every week, give to your wife or give to your husband. He will always give you an instruction. He will always do that. Or maybe that son of yours who is completely lost. And he tells you when you talk to them on the phone. Or when you talk to them via the internet. The first thing I want you to say is address that child as a man of God. As a woman of God. No matter what they say, every time you talk to him or her, call them. Man or woman of God, how are you today? Or maybe you have just $20 in your account and you're praying, God, I can't pay my bills. And he says, give that $20 in offering. He will always give you a command. He will always give you something to do. And that's where we get stuck. Let's see what Martha says. Don't you just love the Bible? You just open it up and it's just like, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. It's like each time. Let's see what Mary says. Where am I? Ah, yeah. He says, take away the stone. And Mary says, oh, no, Lord. Hold it. Take away the stone. It's four days he's been dead. Let me teach you, Lord, what happens when somebody's been dead for four days. <laughs> By now, his body stinketh. By now, Lord, I went to school, and when, when I was in school, they told us that when somebody's dead, by three hours, rigor mortis sets in and by the end of that day, all the cells have been deprived of oxygen. They begin to swell up, and the person becomes bloated and swollen by the second or third day, and the cells begin to decay because they have not had any oxygen, and some fluids begin to leak out of all orifices. And Lord, by now, no, you don't want to know. You don't want to know. You don't want to see a dead body. Believe me. That is decaying. Because the smell is, it will stick on you. You will bathe if you are not here, right? That smell stays on you for weeks. You can bathe, you can throw away the clothes, but that smell never leaves you. And Martha said, Lord, if you open that Grave, if you move that stone, he's been dead for four days and you're going to stink up this place. Lord, what you're saying is irresponsible. Doesn't make sense. We're laughing, but don't we do the same? He tells you, um, let me go back to the $20. says, you give that $20 away. And you say, Lord, huh, I just have. 20. 
If I give that $20 away, empty. Lord, do you know math? 20 minus 0 is what? 0, right? 0 minus 20, whichever one. But if I give it away, it's going to be 0 in my account, right? told you stop laughing. I don't know math as good as you are. He's laughing. But if I give 20 minus 20, right? It's 0, right? We do that. We come down from that spiritual high. I will start to use this again. Logic. Let me tell you. Nothing will deprive you more than experiencing the miracles of God than our logic, our reasoning, our human mind. That's where we all get tripped up. That's where we all miss it. God will never, write that down, N-E-V-E-R, in caps, will never tell you to do something that makes sense. Um, yeah, if, you, if, if he's ever done it to you or told you something that makes sense, please come tell me. Because in all my, how many years, I won't tell you, of being a Christian, he's never told me to do anything that makes sense. I was, my son was born with a liver problem. I was told he was going to die by the age of 12. I was told before then he would be a vegetable. He would never do anything. He would never walk. He would never talk. He would never get up. He would never amount to anything. And by 12, he was going to die. And the medicine that was going to keep him alive, God told me, flush it down the toilet. Tell me that makes sense. Tell me that makes sense. I'm looking at the medicine, all six or five of them, if I, if I remember correctly. I'm sitting down looking at my son. He just had surgery. Told you he had surgery at the age of two months. They said his liver doesn't have the network to get rid of the bile. And so every bile he makes goes straight into his brain and they're staining his brain cells. His eyes were green, his body was green, his fingernails were green, everything was green. And they said, there's no way his body can handle this level of bile until whatever age. And the medicine they gave him was just to get rid of it in his stomach until his little body couldn't take it anymore. And God said, throw the medicine that will at least keep him with us for a few, few years, throw it away. You tell me who that makes sense to. Fear wouldn't even let me tell my husband. The first day I fought, I mean, when you talk about fighting with God, I have stood on the Bible. I will stand on it. Your word says, Lord, and I'm standing on your word, literally standing on the word of God. I don't want my child to die. And he says, throw the medicine away. I said, God, we have to have another conversation. <laughs> this conversation is not good, though. You know, say the way Nigerians say, when we add O at the end of it, you know it's really serious. And the more I resisted, the more I was like, okay. I remember I couldn't even stand to do it. I had to sit down and cradle that toilet seat. 
as I opened one bottle. Chuck, 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 chuck. Shh. Hmm. Open the second bottle. Chuck, 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 chuck. All five of them. I just said, okay, Lord. Whatever now. A week later. One week exactly seven days later. There was evidence that his liver was working. And I'm like, run. You've never seen anybody as excited as seeing a poop the way I was excited. I'm sorry, son. He's going to give it to me today. Before then, everything that came out was as white as this paper because there was no bile. I took it and cleaned it one day and it, had, it was yellow. I, 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 was, I put it aside. I folded it, put it aside. <laughs> I go back, open it, and I'm like, do another one. He did another one. He's so embarrassed. I'm sorry. <laughs> he did another one. It was yellow. Even more yellow this time. Wrapped it. Put it aside. You know the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, right? I was waiting for the third one. I was waiting for the third one. And then he did a big one. And it was yellow. Doctor said, I need to come see you. His poop is yellow. He's like, Are you sure? I, I want to bring it. I want you to see it. <laughs> and we took those three diapers. All this time, I didn't tell good luck what I had done. I was on my own. <laughs> and we went down there. And the doctor was like, what happened? I looked at him and I wasn't giving him his medicine anymore. What? You, he, what happened? Don't ask me what happened. Even now, even now, God will never tell you to do what makes sense. And Martha was trying to use her sense, her logic, to argue with Jesus why she will not take away the stone. And the length of time you argue with him, that stone stays in place. Nothing will move, nothing will change. If you keep arguing, you can be in church and be worshiping, you can be an usher. You can be an elder, you can be a deacon, you can be a pastor. If he's giving you an instruction, you don't do it, your situation stays exactly the same. It will not change. He says, take away the stone. Now, what she was saying, was she correct? Absolutely. He was dead for days, he was thinking. Everything she said was fact. But the truth will always trump the fact. A miracle comes 
when we begin to see things, not from our human sense and human logic, but from where we are seated. Struggle with it. Struggle with it. But do it. Do it. John 11, 41, 42. Another big, big principle when you are getting out of difficult situations. Verse 41 says, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. Then they... And you can easily miss it if you're not careful. He says, they took away the stone. They? He was talking to Martha. The Bible didn't say, and Martha took away the stone. It says, they took away the stone. You know what Martha did? She got a small group to help her move the stone. Because that stone was too heavy for her to move. That boulder was too hard for her. She didn't have the strength. She didn't have the energy. She didn't have the stamina to move that stone. There are some situations that you need help with. Some stones are too large for you to move by yourself. You need to call people that love you, that care about you, To help you move that stone. And especially if it has to do with addiction. If you are in any kind of addiction, pornographic addiction, any kind of addiction, young people. The longer you stay in it, the harder it is to get out of it. And there are some things you cannot do by yourself. You need to get people to help you. And that's what church is all about. Community. Where some people can love you enough to put their hands on your stone and help you to roll it out of the way. And where you too should be helping others move their stones out of the way. When someone calls on you, be willing to put your hands on their stone. And be quick to call if you can't do it on your own. That's why I said we we are the most, we are good actors and actresses. You will see people dying in church with you every Sunday, every Wednesday, smiling, but they can't tell you what they are going through, so you can put your hand on their stone with them. Martha couldn't do it on her own. She had to call for help. And it was only when they put the hand on that stone with her that the stone moved. If you're in a situation that is impossible, you don't know what to do. There are people here you can talk to. One thing I know about this church is that we love each other. One thing I know about this church is that if you call on a brother or a sister, they will do everything in their power. They will leave what they are doing. They will give you the last shirt on their back. I know that. We've been pastors here for that long to know the kind of people God is bringing into this body. So don't try to do it yourself because some of it you can't do. There are some stones you can't roll away. Because God will not move until that stone is moved. That situation will not change until that stone gets out of the way. 
You can cry and be in church for one year. Do what Christians are supposed to do. The measure of your faith is how much feet you put to it. Faith without works is dead. The Bible says. And sometimes the action you need to put on it is not just your own action. You need people to push you along. To give you that little push that, needs, that, that will help you to get that instruction done. Or help you to get that thing out of the way. You're not a loner. He didn't put you in the body of Christ, the body of believers, in a family for you to try and do it all by yourself. Don't try to. You cannot. Jesus prayed and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. After they moved the stone. Some things have order. It has the order in which you take. Remember, Jesus already talked to, uh, to his father about this situation when they sent word to him. And he has sent word to them and said, this sickness is not unto death. But between now and him, reminding God of his promises and what he said he would do, you have to do your own part. And once you did your own part, <coughs> Jesus now prayed. And look at the prayer he prayed. He says, I thank you, Father, that you have heard me. He did not say you're hearing me. He didn't say you're going to hear me. He says you've already heard me. So when did they talk about this, that Jesus, that God already heard him? From the very beginning of the story. When they brought word to him that Lazarus was sick, Jesus had a conversation with God. And it was God that told him, this sickness is not going to end in death. It's going to end in the glory of God. How, can you imagine how many things in your life would bring God glory, that we are holding up the glory of God? Because the glory of God wasn't manifested. God didn't tell Jesus, I thank you that you heard me when we prayed until that stone was moved. So there are things that God, I'm telling you, when we go to heaven, when it says God is going to wipe away the tears, it's because you're going to see the things you could have done, you could have been, and you're going to say, Lord, just, if I had just done that, this would have been the outcome. Yeah. That's where the crying will come. And that's where he's going to wipe away those tears. Okay, it's okay now. You're in heaven now. But you will see all the things that you could have done or you could have become just because you didn't do what he asked you to do. May that not be our portion in Jesus' name. May we be those who are quick to hear, quick to act. Struggle a little bit, but act. Jesus had already talked to God. And God already heard him. But the manifestation did not come until the stone was moved. And finally, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, Lazarus, come forth. And verse 44 says, And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot with grave clothes. Grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Lose him and let him go. When God does the work, it's not complete immediately. 
there might still be some chains that need to be broken. There might still be some grave clothes that need to be removed. And you know why? Because we are co-laborers with him, the Bible says. So when you see God bringing a turn in your circumstance, that's not what when to stop what you're doing. You keep doing what you're doing until the full restoration comes. Amen? You keep walking and taking the grave clothes off and unbinding, 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 unbinding the, the hands for the freedom, the total freedom. Because sometimes all he would do is just start the work and let you finish it. And then one last thing, which is a little on the out, you know, not really uh, part of this story, but it's still a lesson to learn. When God gives life to a, 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 a person who wasn't saved before, and they come into your midst, don't expect them to be perfect the very day they step into church. We are supposed to help Jesus to lose them, unbind them, and take the grave clothes off of them. We are so easily, um, what, what am I looking for? When somebody comes in, maybe they are still wearing that thing where they bend down, you can see everything, or they are so, you know, not dressed the way you're, you're used, to, used to, or don't act the way we, we expect Christians to act, or don't talk the way we expect Christians to talk, and we are quick to write them off or make them so uncomfortable in our presence, they don't want to come back. When they come in, it is our job to help Christ to loosen them. Take the grave clothes off of them. Unbound, unbind their hands and their feet. And make the conversion full and whole. Amen? How many people learned something today? Amen, 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 amen. What we are going to do now... Is first of all, if you have a situation, everybody stand up, please. If you have a situation in your life that's just, at this point, you don't know what to do, you've been it for so long, and you're a little bit frustrated, a little bit mad, disappointed in the Lord, I just want to encourage you today that God loves you, that God has a plan, that God will give you instructions on what to do. Be looking out for the instructions. And be willing to do what he tells you to do. Amen. But if you're here today, you don't even know Jesus. Every eye is closed. And you're saying, I don't even know if this will work for me. Because I don't, even, I don't, I don't know Jesus the way you know him. If that's you today, you can know him. You can experience him and he can step into your situation. If that's you, just raise your hands. Let's pray for you. Everybody here is saved. Amen. That's good. But if you have a situation in your life right now that is really, really difficult, you're asking questions, you need an intervention, let's see your hand raised too. <coughs> Amen. Quite a few hands. Find a few hands. From this story we just went through, I hope and I pray that God has given you a confidence that He's with you. He loves you. He understands. He cries with you. He's in pain with you. 
and he's going to give you a command and instruction. Please follow that instruction and let him help you get out of that situation. Amen. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can always rely on your word to help us. We thank you that you have a way of doing things. Father, help us to do it your own way. Let not our intelligence and our human understanding get in the way of what you're doing in our lives. Father, show us what we need to do. Help us to be obedient to your word, to your instruction. As you help us to get out of the situation we might be in right now. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. And the people of God said, Amen and Amen and Amen. The prayer partners are going to be up here. Please come out if you just need someone to agree with you in prayer. Over any situation you are in, please come out and have them pray and agree with you. And I just bless you. I hope you have a wonderful week. And remember, Pastor, in your prayers, he will be home on Wednesday. And uh, just keep him in your prayers. You all have a great, great week. Amen. You are dismissed.